readings uh, from Scripture are from several different places when you do um, topical sermons and aren't go straight through the Scripture. You know, one book you have to sometimes grab from different places. So bear with us and, and, uh, and have the Scriptures before you, and, um, and we're going to read all the way through that. And uh, we, <clears throat> there's no, if you've been to Christ Central a little bit, we're not afraid to read large chunks of Scripture. Uh, and frankly, one of the reasons we do it is because not, not many of us read large chunks of scripture. And uh, sometimes these passages are the only times you're ever going to hear them. And uh, that's good. We should do that together. We should hear the word of the Lord together. So starting from Acts 17 and verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. With what, there, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by, by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the, the, the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance of God over the, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because fixed a, because He has fixed a day which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man who He has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Romans 1, 8, and then uh, through 18 through 23, and then 28 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For, the invisib- for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he had made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming be- to be wise, they become became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and hatred, deceit, maliciousness, They are gossips and slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, 
they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Leviticus 26, 40 and 42. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me and also walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for the iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. And lastly, Revelation 7. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no other number, no one could number from every nation and tribe, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders addressed, addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And this all is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central. And um, I'm going to have a lot of different places to go, so y'all be patient with me as I turn these pages. We continue our sermon series on God blank America, as in fill in the blank according to how these American ideals we hold dear are being lived out before God in this country and our lives. Last week, we looked at freedom of speech. This week, we'll do civil rights part one, race and ethnicity civil rights, race, and ethnicity. I need to stop here and give you fair warning. I will use some pretty explicit and harsh words. Not to be sure you're edgy, but for clarity. Just want to warn you ahead of time. This is a subject I don't think we need to play around with anymore. Let me also say this. You're not free to use some of those words. Please, especially some of my white brothers and sisters, please. Don't go to your people at work, hey, and then mess up. I'm not giving you permission to use some of this stuff. This is prophetic. This is to change your hearts. This is to pierce through some of the thinking we have. Context is everything here. Amen? The Civil Rights Act of 1964 was a landmark piece of legislation in the United States. Thank you, Wikipedia, for being back. <laughs> Had to wait till Wednesday to write the paste, cut and paste this in. Makes me sound so smart. I wasn't going to tell y'all. But I see United States in blue with little one beside it. Okay. It was a landmark piece of legislation in the United States that outlawed major forms of discrimination 
against African Americans and women, including racial segregation. It ended unequal application of voter registration requirements and racial segregation in schools at the workplace and by facilities that serve the general public. Civil rights enforcement and laws continue to grow out of this one over the years and continues up to this day to enforce in this country that there should be equal treatment regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, creed, gender, age, class. I would agree That's, that America gave us civil rights. But civil rights did not necessarily give us civil righteousness. The rights afforded in this country can enforce and change and challenge our actions and affect our bottom lines, but it cannot change our hearts and our motivations. God bless America for civil rights. God curse America for its lack of civil righteousness. And though these laws were necessary and good for all of us, we are looking for more. More dignity than an act can give us. More reparation or renewal than a national law can offer us. More unity and authentic relationships that, that, than rights can provide. We need what only the gospel this Bible offers as the word of God from the God who created each one of us. I stand in a place of humility in giving this sermon because as I wrote and even finished, I felt like I was way in over my head. I could not hold it all together. Once I felt I had something nailed, you know, down, another end of this thing fell open. There are too many angles and splintering uh, approaches and issues. And with that said, I hope this sermon will give some answers and solutions for you from the Lord, but it will also bring many questions. More questions than answers that may open up and reopen wounds and pour salt into unclosed ones. It will be a start of some heated discussion. It may cause conflict and challenge in your hearts and minds, and it definitely will not be the end of all in this discussion. It is a meal, if you will, a, a trailhead on a journey of civil righteousness. And it begins here, that we recognize that God, the God of the Bible, created a human race. A human race which means we are all created in his image and created for ethnicity. We see Paul and the Apostle Paul in Acts 17 speaking to a group of brilliant religious thinkers and philosophers of his day. So he says what most of them may be willing to believe, that we are created in God's image. He says it in a way they could relate to in verse 28. He says that we are his God's offspring. In other words, we have qualities about us that, that separate us from the rest of creation, that we are more than animals. We are more than behavioristic. We are more than lucky mud. We have been stamped with some of God's very own unique characteristics, the ability to feel and think and move and do responsible acts, to, to care, to manage, to have active, ongoing, responsible relationships with God, this earth, and each other. We are all, therefore, one race. The Bible says here, all men, and women too, 
that we are all one type of creation, the human race. That means there are no sub-levels of sub-race or sub-dignities to that. We human beings are the dignitaries and royalty that God has created on this earth, each one of you. Look at, look at verse 26 with me, if you will, in Acts 17th chapter. go. The seminary education helps. Okay. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation and mankind to live on all the face of the earth and having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Stop right there. The word nation is the word ethnos, ethnic, that God took this one race and, and put them all over the place and in different regions and areas and, and, give, and gave them boundaries, meaning national identities. But don't twist it like the Klan does. This is not against ethnic mixing. This is simply the fact of ethnicity. However, that comes out. If the scripture was against ethnic mixing and it means nations, then you couldn't be Scotch-Irish and be pure or German and Russian, and be the pure race. That's two nations, right? The point is that God made the world multi-ethnic, multinational. It was his doing and his plan, and not out of nations rising and falling and joining. We have all sorts of nations and ethnicities and gaining and, and recognizing, praise be to God, new ones. What's the point here? There is no ethnicity that is a mistake or can be since all ethnicities are part of the human race. There is none higher or lower than the next that the outward appearance can't give or take away your equality as a part of the human race. You can't make yourself more or less than what God has made everyone else. Ethnicity as something done by the hand of God is good. With that said, I have some bones to pick. White is an ethnicity. I hate when people say ethnic and it means something other than white. Most of the world, number-wise, is not white. Anglos are a minority. Anglos have an ethnicity and have ethnicities within themselves. Anglos, for the most part, when you look at this world, are far from pure or the regular or the regulation of all ethnicities. In this country, especially, it, it has, as it's been used as a white and non-white power move, where it makes white the standard and everybody else a deviation. It's funny that in this country you are either white, non-white, almost white, or you're ethnic. God put a white crayon in the box of humanity. And the background of this world is not white, so you do show up and stand out as an ethnicity. And my Anglo brothers and sisters have some rich ethnic histories if they would have the courage to not just be white and for the glory of God explore who their people really are apart from the American defining them as just white. You should not be left out. Say it loud. You're Anglo and proud. 
It's a move toward equality. That you're just one of many. A small part of the many ethnicities that God has put on the earth. And your place of origin and where you live in this country and where you descended from and wherever in Europe, then it makes you who you are. And secondly, Christians. It is unbiblical and ungodly to refer to yourself as colorblind. We're colorblind. It's not cute. When your own God put the world in color and not just looks, but the cultural ways and feelings of people, not to supersede their faith in God, but to be part of the who you are, it glorifies and should glorify God. When we look at the Revelation passage, I love this passage. What color are we in heaven? What culture are we in heaven? All of them. Under one nation, one Lord, Jesus Christ. In heaven. I'm like, how's this thing going to end up? We all going to be the same so we don't fuss and fight? No, we're going to be different and we ain't going to fuss and fight. Using the term colorblind helps white folks at times shed the white guilt stuff and be okay with black people. It helps black people who want to be accepted by white people to get it and feel comfortable. It is a shortcut. So we don't have to do the hard, sometimes divisive, but necessary work of thanking and honoring God for who and how he has made you and differentiated within the race, the human race. Colorblind is a straight disrespect to the artist, that's capital A, the creator, God. Let's just take Van Gogh's work and take the color away. Not important, right? Not too many of you just have black and white TVs anymore. In fact, most of you don't have black and white telephones anymore. Cell phones. Let's move on. But Paul says this in verse 26 of chapter 17. So Paul, staying in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And then in verse 29, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to, be, to repent. Let's go back to verse 27. I missed something. Having a lot, determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling, those are the people he created out of every nation, that they should seek God and hope they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For, him we, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets say, for we are indeed his offspring. What's the point here? That we are looking for answers to who we are. And why we are the way we are. But we only end up with imaginations. Pontifications and prognostications and theories that make us sound smart, but actually fall short of the truth about who we are. And this ignorance to fix and answer our questions of image and ethnicity and justice and dignity can't come from what these Greeks had, from an unknown God, or from no God, or you being the God. The, the Declaration of Independence says this, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Did you hear this? Self-evident? It means that at the most ignorant level, we should be able to see from simple science that we are all one race of human beings. 
but we have taken what is self-evident and twisted and confused it. Look at Romans chapter 1. Nope, not two, not one. Chapter, yeah, in chapter 1. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who by their right unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now listen to this. Doesn't this sound like really familiar to what I just read from Declaration of Independence? Look, look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, you and me, so that we are without excuse. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. Remember these Greeks, they're wise, they're creating all kinds of things. They became fools. And exchange the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and creeping things. Then in verses 28 through 32, he names all kinds of things that come out of that. Let me break it down. Because there's a lot here. God created the human race. But the human race groping around in darkness and sin invented racism. Let me say it again. The God of the Bible created the human race. We invented racism. What the Bible talks about here in Romans is idolatry. Treating anything or anyone God has created higher or lower than it should be. And people do this like we saw in chapter 17 of Acts because they're looking for answers and redemption outside or sort of alongside with the Bible. It is true today. We are looking for redemption, for hope, and, and we will be tempted to find it in our ethnicity and use it over and against other ethnicities. We will make ourselves and others better or worse than so we can feel correct about ourselves. But when we do it, we not only play ourselves, we, we not only play others, we play ourselves. Because like what Romans is talk about, talking about, in our ignorant and sinful attempts to find self-guided dignity, we have become destructive to the human race, to ourselves and others who are a part of it. We hate others and treat others like animals or mistakes. We invent, as, as the scripture says, and, and get caught up in all sorts of mess and stupidity. We lose our minds. And our hearts, extreme things like the KKK and, and some of the teachings of the Nation of Islam, but not so apparently extreme ways like, like corporate code language and, and political theory and, and believing and imagining there is no problem with race in this country or, or our little inside jokes or, or observations. Or if we love money or a lifestyle we will, that we want to keep, we will ignore and, and put blinders on and stay in the conversation and, and world of, of people like ourselves and in doing that push out and push down a certain group of people as not so equal in God's name so we can exploit them for our God-ordained American dream way of living in economics and now we have made a big mess we human beings have been stained in this country, we have been abused and so ignored what God has said that in some way we have all 
become racist, oppressed, or oppressing because of ethnic sin. And we played a role of both, being hated and hating others and hating ourselves or worshiping others or worshiping ourselves because of ethnic distinctions. In this way, not only black folks, but white folks have been. All folks. Sorry, I'm just kind of black and white today. To borrow a term from Cornell West, that we have all, regardless of skin color or ethnicity, as a human race, been niggerized. That just by the way you look at others, and others look at you, and you look at yourself from the outside that you will be judged by and treated according to some stereotype or or lie or, or real history of racism. Yes, just because you're white, that's it. Yes, just because you are black or yes, just because you are Latino. Yes, just because you're Palestinian. Yes, we all will and have been. The human race itself has been niggerized as the one race trapped and caught being assessed and, and treated and seen and stuck seeing yourself as, as less than in, in less than a good light are motivated to act or live this or that way and have this or that fear or anger or hatred for yourselves and others and for the niggerization of the human race in this country, God curse America. Because if you live in this country, the disease and fever of this United States of America's past and present history when it comes to racism has infected you and you have added to it, regardless of your skin tone. Because sin and the sin of racism is a disease. It's a a virus. It's an outbreak staining of humanity spread by the infectious host of institutionalized or ignorant racist thinking and actions. Have you heard these types of things said to sort of escape the stain? I never owned slaves. I ain't responsible. I didn't lynch people. Why am I being held accountable because of my skin color or heritage? Oh, man, get over this black slave thing. Get out the slave mentality. We're a post-racial world now. Happened so long ago. Quit trying to blame white people. Why does everything have to be about race? Or we just need to be colorblind. Man, I'm with you. I wish we could easy our way out of it. I want to. I don't like preaching this stuff. I want out. Look at Leviticus 26, 40. It's a hard verse. When they say they, it's talking about God's people. But if they confess this nation of God's people, but if they confess their iniquity and iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, iniquity of their fathers, that means the generations before them, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walk contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends, that word amends means reparation. 
for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant, covenant excuse me, with Abraham and I will remember the land. God bless America? You want God to bless America? Are we ready to confess our sins and the sins of everything that's happened in the past that continues to come up now? Are we ready to make amends and reparations for what went on? Could you imagine how the landscape would have been transformed if we really got 40 acres and a mule? I would have taken mine right on Hilton Head. In fact, some of our people did, but they raised the tax so high that African-Americans who owned most of the land that the resorts are on had to give them up. Yeah. They allowed people to do that. These people were slaves on these big plantations in Hilton Head, and their masters left them the land, and then when people saw it as a great opportunity, hey, let's raise the taxes. Now those same people are working on the resorts. God bless America, right? This is hard to hear because we have become so not the human race and so individualistic that we don't understand national and community and institutional responsibility. God is calling for the individuals in a place, a country, a family, an organization to admit the sins of the people they are and descend from. Oh, we like to celebrate the 4th of July and wave flags and a la Lean Greenwood st gladly stand up and defend her still today, but we won't bow our heads for her sins and injustices that are ours as much as her freedoms and justices. You can't get the freedoms of America if you don't accept the iniquities of America. Understand what is going on here. Their, their sin and sin debt has been passed on to the descendants, and it comes out in your personal sin in some way, even if it is sinfully ignoring your part of the mess. Point here is that no one escapes it. No one escapes the inheritance of racism. Some of us manage it better than others. Superiority or self-deprecation will manifest and does manifest somewhere. And all of us, based on the sins of our predecessors, of our people, of our history of slavery and Jim Crow and unfair wages and violence. So we, in 2012, in the so-called post-racial world, get the weight and guilt and stain of history on us, and we get the sin by familial and, and social osmosis. In other words, we do the same things and fight the same sinful things our parents and forefathers did in their ignorance and their complacency and abuse. Now, things have gotten better. But they ain't good. This way, everyone has been racially abused. Because our families, our teachers, our authorities, our leaders, the ideals of the country, excuse me, have failed to nurture you. They have abused you inadvertently. Or even with good intentions, you have been neglected and robbed of a right and good education of what it means that God created the human race and all ethnicities. You have been abused by others who live out their fear and ignorance and evil that has put permanent scars on who you are as a people group and how you see yourself. When I look at our ethnicities in this country, the immigration stuff, the history stuff, I'm not sure we're going to get past what happened and happened socially and psychologically and spiritually during stuff like slavery and worse, in some cases, Jim Crow and this immigration fight. 
are we forever a country of niggerized people? Because now we can't easily work together and play together and worship together. There's always fear and stupid words and angry and, uh, anger and awkwardness and communication barriers and undealt with guilt and pain and scars because there is no freedom or hope. I was talking to Pastor Georgia about the hopeless feeling I get sometimes. This is my perspective as a black man. Take some little license. Simon says, pretty indulgent. I've heard it. I felt it. You act too strong, you're too angry to be reasonable. If you act too weak, you're Thomish to be too Thomish to be taken seriously. And yet I refuse in a predominantly white denomination like I'm in to be the safe black pet or puppet or different than the other black guy for the Anglo people to release their guilt. I am angry. I am discontent. I don't trust you or my own people. And true, like I said on the radio this past week, I can feel very out of place and insecure on Sunday morning with so many people that look different than me. I am afraid of being your token paid forward for your guilt and journey of racism. Sometimes I have to reconvince myself that I am the senior pastor of the church and your spiritual authority, regardless of your skin color. And not a, guess what, y'all, my pastor's black, so I get out of racism jail free card. I hate to be played like that, and I will hate you if I ain't played like that. I ain't the one. And like many of you at times, in all that personal angst and pain that I struggle with, like some of you often, I personally see no future in sight where in this country there will ever be a fair conversation on racism because I don't ever see, sorry, Dr. King, in the near future where resource and power and money will ever bring us to an equal table of discussion. And it makes me want to accept niggerization and do my own black thing and say, forget y'all, man. Or it makes me want to give up on changing things and just get mine. And this is where most of us land, right? We are despaired or comfortable and settled with being good enough. So forget some community revolution, you know, Black people are too angry, and we have tried, and those, those folk think they know everything. Forget them. Let, let them stay fools. Just get yours. Money and the American dream. Without a vision, without a hope, real hope, the Bible says that people perish and live in futility. Forget civil rights if it is not filled in and fulfilled with some civil righteousness. But there is a vision. Look with me at Revelation. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. 
looks like the United Nations in this thing, don't it? Which means the, that, that, that talks and negotiations, negotiations have gone on between the races and nations and in the hearts of people for this to be. But how do we begin to get there to peace back to the human race? This vision tells us by showing us these are they who have washed their robes in the blood. That these are people who have been conquered and rescued and reached by a great king. They have laid their stuff and issues to him. And the king has brought them prosperity and peace. The king here, our hope here is Jesus. And according to this vision, he alone gives civil righteousness to go along with our civil rights. And verse 14 says that their robes have been made white or clean. And it only applies to clothing, not to people, by washing in the blood. It means that they began to to walk towards the vision with repentance, the freedom to lay down their burdens and sins and guilt and the sin and guilt of their ancestors down because Jesus has died for their sin. I've said this before many years ago. Do you know what happened when Jesus died on the cross as far as race is concerned? Jesus was lynched as the nigger of the human race. As the most hated individual. Bearing all the hatred on himself So none of us has to forever settle living like or being called one. The reason we stay this way is we are trying to carry the guilt and anger amends on ourselves. You can't be guilty enough or demand enough or understand enough And as we are called to make amends, we will hate giving them. We will not be free to confess our sins and hurts and work for reparation and restoration. And we'll always feel taken advantage of and left feeling like they didn't give enough or hurt or feel me enough. We have to believe that the lynching of Jesus can heal and forgive history itself. And then you can begin to believe that the picture you see here is reality. Who are they? Says here, those who have come through the great tribulation. I wish we could pronounce the word tribulation. Because he is saying they have come and been led through trying times. Lots of ups and downs and repentances and conversations. And Jesus led confrontations and being humbled and being lifted up. It comes to Jesus living in the lot, work, living work in the lives of his people, struggling with each other and in themselves, seeking the scriptures and seeking a miracle of healing in this thing. Christ Central Church, this, what many think of as a social uh, uh, religious experiment, is not that. This is crazy. What do we say this week on the radio? It's a disaster waiting to happen. What are we doing? This is stupid. You don't grow a church like this. Too uncomfortable. 
we believe in the miracle that only Jesus can bring. We're waiting on a miracle. We can write a thousand books, but I'm waiting on a miracle. I've tried doing it the other way and going to the conferences and, well, I'm so sorry, and this and that and, and all that kind of stuff and, 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 you know, changing my language and all that kind of stuff. Man, that, that's great. It helps. We are a body that we are not the doctors of. We are a body of people who do not quite know ourselves and our sins well enough to completely diagnose it. We wait on the Lord to show us. And as we are with each other, bring the pieces together in a miracle of racial healing and racial and ethnic therapy and exercise. And it's grueling. But I must warn you, there will be forgiveness, but tribulation and trying and, and reaching out and, and sharing and bearing and bearing with each other and making a joke and everybody being quiet. Bearing with each other and tears and misunderstandings and, and disclosure of hurtful, angry things and of walking in the dark with each other and what we like to call here the cage match of honesty refereed by Jesus. And get this with no real knowledge of how long it will take. When Pastor Georgia and I, when we got together, I'm like, he's, you know, we're talking about, hey, we're going to have this ethnic, you know, multi-ethnic church, and man, it's going to be great, black people and white people and, and, and Asian folk and Latino folk, we all mixed up together. Eight years later, look around. Still pretty white. Still pretty black. I said, Giorgio, I got some humbling news. It's good news, but it's humbling. Maybe we're planting the seeds for the church that our sons and daughters will lead in. Your work's not in vain. You just don't know how long it's going to take. It's called a great tribulation for a reason. And so people who are in the future of the vision, God's children, you're free to try that the Lord to use you, your story, your confusion, your issues. Yes, you sociologists and anthropologists and artists and teachers and counselors and civil rights people to be laid down for Jesus' work and redemption of racism. In this church, we have a group we call the Berkeley Four. Is that right? Two African-American guys, two white guys go to Berkeley to learn from a Buddhist Asian guy on race. They've come back and they've led our church in a journey of healing. I was in the class. Yeah, I, you know, I planted this church, but I'm in the class learning from them. We have this learning community that they're going to be doing coming up. Y'all, yeah. it's going to be a mess. It's going to be confusing in that bad boy. People be crying in there and all, snotting up, mad, angry, cussing. And Jesus is in there too. He's angry too. He's sad too. He might be cussing too, in a holy kind of way. <laughs> Dr. King whose birthday we celebrated this last week on Monday, in his famous I Have a Dream speech, says that he had a dream 
that look curiously a lot like this vision in Revelation. His dream was fueled and spoken with conviction of what we see here in Revelation. In fact, in that speech, he said, I may not get there with you. But here's the truth. We all have a dream. But more than that, a vision of the future. And for this reason, I believe we will meet him there. Not because he led or brought us. But because Jesus, the living Lord, back from the dead. Not only the lynched savior of the world, but the world's civil rights advocate is leading and bringing Dr. King and us, the people of God, there. It's our hope in this great tribulation. The Lord made the human race. We invented and suffer under racism. But praise be to God. Jesus gives and comes with civil righteousness. Let the journey begin. I'm scared. <laughs>